Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. Welcome, Mel. Hey, hey. We talked on the Performer of the Week episode about how awesome Parker Posey is on Lost in Space. I cannot wait to discuss more about just the series in general with you today. That is going to be fantastic. Cannot wait. Also joining me, Dan Pierce. Welcome, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. You should be riding high because there's all kinds of Power Rangers news, and there is nothing I see you get more excited about on social media than Power Rangers. So we will be discussing that, and I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on it all. Sounds good. Mo Walker, welcome. Hey, glad to be here. I cannot wait to get your thoughts on the Robin Hood trailer, because when we were talking about this beforehand, it was like you were like Arrow knockoff, and I'm like, I don't care. It looks epic. I cannot wait. So let's dive into it all. We're also going to do our Avengers speculation that we hinted at in our special Avengers episode. We've got a lot more to cover. Uh, real quick, who has all, other than Mel and myself, have either of the other two of you watched Lost in Space? I've seen, a, I've seen a, an, I've seen the first episode. Okay. Uh, I have not. Okay, so the reason why I asked that is because prior to this series coming out on Netflix, my only exposure to Lost in Space was the Matt LeBlanc movie, which wasn't that great. And so coming into this, I was like, okay, it's on Netflix. Netflix makes quality programming. Toby Stevens, who I watched religiously on Black Sails and was an epic leading man was on it so that was intriguing to me i was like okay that's a reason to give it a chance i recognized molly parker but i couldn't remember from where and then i was like i think she was on deadwood but i didn't other than like just those two i didn't really pay attention to much of the rest so when parker posey came along as dr smith and has now become like an epic villain for me I was sort of blindsided with that. I probably shouldn't have been. I probably should have been reading things. But I am in loving this series. It has a really strong cast. The, the dynamic for Toby Stevens' character is so much different than what it was on Black Sails. I'm loving to see that contrast, knowing how powerful of a character he was on Black Sails. The cinematography, once again, Netflix with their original shows has beautiful cinematography. Some of the big scapes when the storms are coming down and they're trying to get back to the spaceship the grounded spaceship really good stuff mel do you mm -hmm. do you want to do one of your mini recaps about <laughs> lost in space thus far and i walked right into this and didn't even know it <laughs> and and well um you were the one who was like uh they copycatted me on the daytime emmy so i'm like okay they did they did. Do you believe that? They tried to do a one-minute soap recap without me. I came up with that. That was no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm playing around. But um, 
<sighs> okay, I'll do my best. Let me give a little background on this, okay? I came into the show accidentally. I had no inclination that I was going to start watching this. Like, it wasn't even on my radar. And I just happened to be at one of my family members' house one weekend. And I woke up and walked in, and they were all watching it. And they were all in the middle of the episode, the second episode. And I was like, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. But just that little bit, me coming in the middle, I was like, oh, this is a good show. I have to go back and see what's happening. So, here we go. Long story short. Lost in Space features our family, the Robinsons, okay? We have Maureen, John, Will, uh, Judy, and Penny, okay? Those are our families. Now, clearly, we know that they are, I think we meet them, they're, on, uh, they're at home. It's like a, they're going back and forth. They're at home, and they're on a space station, and they are all trying to get accepted into the program so they can go off to Alpha Centauri. Is that right? It sounds right. So they can go off into Alpha Centauri and find more life and create new things and blah, blah, blah. Well, come to find out, our main couple are having marital issues. They all want to be a family, but, you know, I think the father is in the military and he's away a lot. So that causes a lot of problems. And the mother is um, a doctor. But she's also a little shady, too, because you learn that she kind of doctored up the results of the test to get everybody on the ship. Well, they end up crash landing onto um, another planet. I don't know exactly where they are. Of course, our heroes are in danger immediately. They're trying to... Um, they landed on a glacier, and they're trying to escape from this glacier. And one of the daughters ends up falling in the ice and there's no way to get her out and we learn that will our youngest is super smart and he kind of uses his smarts to eventually try to figure a way to get her out of there he ends up getting into some trouble himself the dad tries to go back they're trying to rescue the poor girl will ends up getting into trouble himself he finds another crash landing of a spaceship there's a robot on the spaceship. He's scared initially, but the robot is cut in half, and he's dying. There's fire all around. We don't know if they're going to make it, and Will kind of sacrifices himself for the robot to make it. The robot ends up um, basically welding itself back together, saving Will, coming back, and the robot is the one that ends up saving the day because he saves um, Judy. She was trapped in the ice, so it's kind of, I thought that was in, an interesting way to introduce the robot into the series. And then as we go on, we meet um, Parker Posey's character, who has shady boots from the beginning. Also, I thought it was a really great cameo that uh, Selma Blair is her sister, because I didn't see that one coming, but whatever. Um, we also meet Ignacio Seraccio, and he had a lady partner as well, but I think she ends up dying. But, well, you know, the, they, the African-American? No, no, no. no. Oh, the, the original one. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, not the one they found. Not the one they found. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. They end up yeah, finding she bit the, it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, big time. So um, Ignacio Seraccio and uh, Parker Posey's characters are connected because they're all trying to escape the space station that was under attack from our robot. We didn't learn that until later um, because Parker Posey needed someone who could fly the escape pod and Ignacio Seraccio just happens to be a mechanic slash pilot so it worked out for everyone. But I think it's interesting how all of the relationships intertwine. 
Um, if we go a little bit further into the series, our uh, family, the Robinsons, eventually discover that there are other survivors from the... Um, other ships? Attack, yes, uh, from the attack on the Space Center. Space Center. Oh, on the space station. And um, that's kind of where I am in the series now, is that they've discovered there's other survivors. Everyone's trying to get along. There was, of course, one person who was the designated um, if anything goes wrong, he's in charge, but, um, our father, John Robinson is not really about that life because, you know, he's military and they get it done. So I think that's an interesting contrast in it, but I want to see how they're going to attempt to form life. And we have all these different personalities in the whole thing. Uh, Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat's on there. Uh, I think his name is Carrie. I can't ever pronounce his last name, but he's fantastic so it's a really great series yes so here's my thing about it is john robinson i feel like his wife has like him by the balls and he can't really do anything without her emasculating him um, at least up to the episodes i've watched like even when he, he stand even when he tries standing up for himself or providing an argument she will undercut him their marriage obviously soured really bad, but when they were stuck, and spoilers, sorry, Mo, but spo when they are stuck underneath that satellite and, like, she starts going in about the letter, I'm like, seriously? From a purely dramatic standpoint, it is great family drama and relationship drama, but I... I have yet to see him make him assert himself in a scenario the way I would hope. I mean, the oil monsters, that the oil eels or whatever, I suppose there was a little bit of that when he tried to save his child, but that was for his children. It wasn't necessarily for his wife. And so for me, I'm like, I would like to see him be just... I'm totally okay with people having equal relationships and partners and whatever, but she just... Um, like cuts him off at the knees at every turn. I feel like there's more to that relationship that we haven't seen. We haven't seen, you know, exactly what made it sour so much, but I think it has something to do with maybe something that he did or he feels guilty for, which is why he kind of always lets her win. And she always, she's very confident in the way that she cuts him down. Like, Oh, you know what you did. You know, this is why I'm acting like this, you know? So, so do you think, I, do you I think, think there's that more... there's more to it than just the letter? Because like her explanation when they're trapped underneath that satellite was that she got the letter from the yeah. military and discovered that, he he had chosen to go on a, um be assigned duty whatever that's called i'm yeah, not in the military yeah. um uh, so it was like, like she redeploy correct he had chosen yeah. redeployment thank you as opposed to and leaving the family rather than staying with them and she obviously had that so you think there's something more I feel like there has to be a little bit more to it. I, I can understand how that could make her, you, you know, be on 10 all of the time, especially if him being away so long was a big problem for them and he's chosen to, you know, be redeployed again. I, I could definitely see that, but I feel like there's maybe like some kind of, maybe he made a promise to stay around longer or maybe they were supposed to do something else, you know, like, I feel like this is one little missing piece of the puzzle, but it's definitely something where he feels guilty about it. And that's why she's kind of the boss in the situation. That's why she's running the show because he's like, I'm in the wrong. 
Mo, just having watched the pilot, and even though we might have um, spoiled a little bit of the future episodes for you, what was your first impressions of the pilot? Well, it felt really, really different than what I've I've seen parts of the the original CBS television show, and I vaguely remember the Matt LeBlanc um, feature film, but the grittiness of it there's a certain level of grittiness that we that you didn't get in either version but i also like that i feel like there is much more of a soap dynamic or a much more dramatic dynamic that we're getting a lot more backstory for these characters than what i recall in in previous iterations which i kind of find fascinating since this is you know a, a netflix drama and it's more than i think the original series that those cbs episodes are like a half hour this th- th- there's a lot here, and um, when I get around to it, I- I'm definitely gonna watch, finish the series. It's just a question of when I'll get around to it. Okay, Dan, I want to go to you next because uh, since you didn't watch this, I want to get your thoughts on on the Power Rangers buyout by Hasbro. Correct? Yes. So, yes. as our resident Power Rangers aficionado, what are your thoughts on this buyout? So. It's a very interesting dynamic um, with all of the moving pieces. A few months ago, um, Power Rangers' longtime partners, Bandai, who make the toys, uh, were basically they Saban Brands, who owns Power Rangers, gave Hasbro the toy rights over renewing it with Bandai, who has been making the toys since 1993. Um, and in that press release, it stated that Hasbro had like could be buying Power Rangers at a later date. So we knew it was coming at some point. What we didn't know were the numbers themselves because when Saban Brands bought back Power Rangers in 2010 from Disney for $100 million, for him to just completely cash in and be able to sell it, you know, eight years later for $522 million he gets himself a healthy profit on that one. Um, but needless to say, it's it's an interesting dynamic they have going on. They shoot the show in New Zealand, um, and they're, they have a contract with Nickelodeon that still is pending, and pre-production for the next um, iteration, Power Rangers Beast Morphers, uh, is going on. So they're working on casting as we speak. Uh, so it's all a very interesting dynamic. Um, a lot of people are speculating about the ancillary properties like the spinoffs or the other Ameritoku shows like VR Troopers, Mast Rider, Big Bad Beetleborgs, Mystic Knights of Tiernanog. Uh, you know, people are wondering about the music rights because that was a big contention point during the Disney years. People are wondering about the, you know, the comics because typically Hasbro does IDW comics, but right now Power Rangers has the most successful brand of comics they've ever had under boom comics um they also have an online role-playing game that they did live streams of called power rangers hyperforce that was pretty successful it helped a lot of different charities in the process um you know it there's a lot of moving parts that are still unanswered but what we do know is that hasbro has acquired uh, Power Rangers and other brands such as Pet, My Pet Monsters, Popples, Julius Jr., Luna Petunia, and Trios Detectives. Um, and it's 
it's a pretty crazy situation. Um, the toy license starts for Hasbro in 2019. And, you know, it, it's interesting to think about with Hasbro restarting their movie franchises with, you know, um, Transformers and whatnot. If they put that under the same umbrella, Transformers, G.I. Joe, and Power Rangers, what type of movie universe can you create with those respective franchises? And can you play off the success of previous iterations, such as the Power Rangers movie, which did moderately well but didn't make enough to warrant the sequel, or the Transformers movies that, you know, Michael Bay just rakes in the bucks um or it, the gi joe movies that are shit but m- can make money yeah they can make money it's just they're just not of good quality it like i i personally haven't seen them but i've read a lot of reviews saying that they're kind of a mixed bag like uh just you know certain parts are okay but other parts is like really this is what we're doing um but needless to say i'm i'm really interested to see where where the franchise goes next. I hope they bring back, like, I hope they not necessarily bring back. I hope they get a brand new writing and production staff because power Rangers, uh, three, four years ago brought in their most prolific writer in history. He was amazing back in the day and we all loved him and he created a pretty, pretty good season, but couldn't stick the landing on the finale. And so people started to wonder was having like a bad executive producer who was able to rein in the good writer, kind of the perfect balance into creating a good season. Um, because right now the, the writer came back and he's like, Hey, uh, let's, let, let's try this again with a new season. And it, the season's just been terrible from all, all of the reviews that I've watched and all of the things I've heard. Um, it, and it's really unfortunate. So I'm hoping that they clean house uh, Haim Saban is staying on as a consultant. Um, he's the owner. He he helped fund Saban Entertainment back in the day, sold it to Disney uh, for one of the largest media uh, sales in history of the world, uh, and then sold it back. Basically, he was instrumental in the whole uh, Family Channel, ABC Family, Fox Family whole deal shtick back in like 2001, 2002. Um, Power Rangers was kind of at the heart of all of that. It was it was a weird situation for Disney and Fox to be in. Uh, but needless to say, so yes, that is the situation going forward. It's 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 weird. So can I? So I want to go follow up on that something that you touched on earlier because when this was first announced. I will admit that I'm a little too old for Power Rangers. It was it was the kid, the neighbor kid who I would sometimes sort of babysit's obsession. And yeah, so fine. like I was like peripherally aware of it. I enjoyed the Power Rangers movie that came out last year for what it was. It was better than I thought it was until they got to the big fight and then they all combined into whatever the big robot is called. And, <sighs> and, and a looked, Zord, Luke. A and it Zord looked, Megazord. And it looked really and the CGI was really questionable. But uh, up to the point where like you had all the teen stuff and the uniforms and all that stuff, I liked I thought that part did really well. 
Um, but when I read the news, I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I know in the comics there have been crossovers between Transformers and Power Rangers, and I don't know if there was with G.I. Joe, but I like doesn't Star Trek and the Power Rangers crossover or something like that? I'm not entirely familiar with like how all those special off-brands. Maybe that's more of a question for Mo, but I was like, okay, this movie universe could be really cool, but how would you even begin to put that universe together? Yeah, that's kind of part of the problem that I have. As far as the comics go, the only two crossover comics and the television show go, the only two, three crossovers that I'm aware of, one happened in the comics and it was released last year. It was Power Rangers and the Justice League. Um, and that did moderately okay. People seemed to like it, but it was kind of, I, you know, it wasn't as good as the current Power Rangers comics, which deal more into the teen stuff that the movie did and are doing very well because of it. Um, and incorporating more of the universe. Uh, and then the other one on the television show, uh, back in Power Rangers in space, it crossed over with the live action, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the next mutation that was airing. Um, and they had a crossover episode. It was great. The turtles were turned evil. And so they had to fight the Rangers and then they all teamed up to kind of beat the bad guy, which was awesome. It was super fun. Uh, a lot of jokes because the turtles, of course. Um, and yeah. And then okay. obviously mass rider. Um, but as far as the, how it would fit into transformers world, it, it kind of doesn't, uh, it's, it's pretty different. Those transformers are going to be like, Oh, no way. Are you getting in here and riding me and telling me what to do? Yeah. But... <laughs> That's not the I know I'm making a joke. It's a yeah. total joke. Yeah. Sorry, Mel. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, well, this is interesting that you bring up that uh, a potential crossover between Power Rangers and Transformers, because in the IDW comics, uh, a lot of Hasbro's brands, G.I. Joe, Transformers, have created their own sort of comic universe. See, that's that what I, I knew running. there was something like that, but I wasn't sure. Like, I'm not familiar with any of those brands and comics, so I wasn't sure how that worked. So, but interestingly enough, that that sort of branding is it's kind of it's splintering off now because um idw is about to end sort of i guess re about to end their uh current uh transformer continuity so I, and right now no one people are kind of questioning well will idw keep that transformer license so it, it's sort of interesting like hasbro is sort of getting power rangers at this point where they may be rearranging things um, with regard to G.I. Joe and Transformers, how does how does Power Rangers fit fit in, into this? Hopefully they do keep uh, producing comics through Boom. I've only read a few of them, and I know that this current Power Rangers uh, crossover or event in their title, Shattered Grid, is, is doing fairly is – doing, is, is doing pretty well. Um, it's so good. It's so good. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I love it. It's, it encapsulates 20 years of the show, or I'm sorry, 25 years now. And it's just, it's so, it's worth watching. 
or reading rather the amount of twists and turns that they have and i feel like i just cut you off and i apologize most sorry god no no no. i was just gonna say like i know because i picked up the free comic book day issue um on free comic book day and i haven't had a had, had a chance to read it and i'm fairly certain you could probably get it digitally um usually those things are available the free comic book day issues are available digitally for free through comicsology if people are, are curious about it and want to sample it mel i know mm. you watched some power rangers as your quick critique of my description took place it's because people used to get upset if you talked about Transformers and Power Rangers in the same sentence, like the Transformer fans are old school. They're like, no, see, that's like any part of that. Before my parents got religion and my, so like my pop culture awareness ended, um, the cartoons, GI Joe and Transformers were something that I would watch on a Sunday morning or during the week after school. And then that all ended abruptly. But so for me, like when I look at Power Rangers, I'm just like, oh, that's just Transformers knockoff. See, I'm a little bit after you. you. So the Transformers, like I very vaguely, I remember Transformers, but I have vivid memories of the Power Rangers. And are you excited for this sale? I uh, so I'm not into it like Dan is into it, but I thought it was super interesting because I know that the Power Rangers had been with Bandai. Is that right? Saban. Saban. There we go. Bandai, Bandai is the toys. Uh, Saban oh, has been with them since 2010. Since, yeah. Okay. So I know they've been with Saban for like uh, a long, long time. So to see them sell to Hasbro, I was like, oh, some interesting things going on in the Power Rangers universe. So, I mean, I like the old school Power Rangers. I like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And anything up to Turbo, I remember all of that. But anything after that, I was like, yeah, no, I can't do this anymore. So, Mo, a couple trailers came out this last week. One of them that I'm interested in is the Deadpool Celine Dion trailer because I think that that is just the perfect trailer ever. And the fact that Celine is willing to let herself be winked at like that is awesome. But when we were discussing what to discuss on this podcast, you brought up the new Robin Hood trailer. And I am a sucker for the Robin like Robin Hood mythos. I love the animated Disney cartoon is one of my all-time favorites. I like the Kevin Costner version. If there is a Robin Hood movie that comes out, more than likely I will like it. The exception to that being Robin Hood Men in Tights, I think oh, that's like the come on. That's, that's the like the really one. classic one that I'm we like are the oh. men, the manly men in tights. Come on, it's comedy. What about the Fox one? No, that's the what I'm Dis- saying. The Disney, the Disney, Disney one, one, the Disney yeah, Fox yeah, yeah. one is my all-time favorite Disney movie, yeah. without question. Okay. No, no, that's what I prefaced at the beginning. Okay. So, Mo, you made it this seem like a very bad thing almost as an Arrowverse knockoff, and I'm like, oh no, we cannot have this. Arrow is one of my least favorite of the Berlantiverse shows, and this looks much better than that. So, why do you think it's a knockoff, and what did you think of the Robin Hood and Deadpool trailers? Well, in terms of of Robin Hood, if you if you look at it in terms of its frames, he he calls himself the Hood. I mean, like, okay, uh, Arrow is a knockoff of that. Robin Hood existed long before Oliver Queen did. Okay, true, 
But again, if you're in terms of like how the media portrays and looks at like bow bow and arrow type heroes at, at this at this juncture, okay, you know, people are synonymous. I think bows and arrows, Oliver Queen, okay, um, Robin Hood, and and again, if you look at the trailer, the way it was laid out, it really it felt like the first trailer for when when when. Uh, the CW started promoting Arrow. Now, granted, yes, it does have a better, it has a larger budget, okay? But it really just reminded me of those touchstones other than um, Oliver doing the salmon. Like you got basically everything that Oliver Queen was doing in those old, those those original trailers for Arrow minus the salmon ladder. Um, I'm just saying that this, this new... Robin Hood trailer should just if if it own it. I'm just saying, just own it in this day and age, and hopefully it will be much better better than um, that uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword film, the Guy Ritchie one that came out, I believe last year. That Robin Hood trailer reminded me of that as well, and I didn't really particularly like the the Guy Ritchie King Arthur uh, film. Hopefully, this will be much better than that. But we'll see. And what do you think of Celine Dion and Deadpool? <laughs> so the Celine Dion Deadpool, it reminded me of those classic videos that that were uh, that music videos that promoted a film. Um, if if you remember, like Batman, the old Batman films that they would have like these that these great uh, music videos that that would incorporate you know the characters from the film along with the singer or um, the singer who was uh, who was um, performing and I, I thought it, it very much fit the tone of the movie as well so um, we'll see I'm, I'm looking forward to Deadpool too and I think that the Celine Dion the Celine Dion music video has just only primed the pump for, for more Deadpool Mel I in no way shape or form claim in any way to be an archery, enthusiast or knowledgeable but there have been times where i have read that a lot of times in pop culture television and movies that the way people shoot arrows in movies and tv is not necessarily an accurate depiction of how it worked so or how it actually works and so when i was watching this trailer and i was no noticing how he he seemed to have a very old school style, a very fluid motion of shooting the arrows from the bow. I was like, oh, maybe they're trying to be authentic with this. I don't know if that's the case. But what did you think of both of these trailers? I'm interested to see uh, where it's going. Like you, I really like anything Robin Hood, you know, still for the rich gifts of the boy. Right? I mean, why not? Uh, I want to see more of it, though, because, you know, usually as a movie comes out, they release more and more trailers. So I'll definitely give it a go. I'll definitely check it out. Oh, and the Deadpool trailer. I thought that was hysterical. I love how Celine Dion has such a great sense of humor. So um, it was great to see that she was like, sure, yeah, I'll do it. Let's go. So I, I liked it. Dan, Taron Edgerton in the Kingsman franchise he broke into our world with that in terms of the film world. And I'm just get ready to give Robin Hood the benefit of the doubt just because he's in it. What did you think of these trailers? 
That was all right with the Robin Hood. I, I guess I'll have to wait and see a little bit more. I, I'm kind of looking for a little bit more from the story other than just give to the, or steal from the rich, give to the poor. Maybe maybe some other angles to take. Hopefully they'll they'll explore some other things. Uh, but that Deadpool uh, Celine Dion trailer, like the whole music video, it, w- it was just it was so good. And it like Mo said, it reminded me of so many old like that old concept of trying to incorporate, um, you know, the singer into the the movie. And it's just it's so good. And it's such like a like a throwback and I, I, I forgot how much I missed it. And then for Ryan Reynolds and Celine Dion to just kind of go back and forth and be like, yeah, you're, you're at like a 10 and we need you at like a five. Cause this is Deadpool two. This isn't Titanic. And she's like, honey, this is all you get out of this is a 10. And oh my gosh, I loved it. I loved it. I cannot wait for Deadpool I too. I just cannot wait. Before we get to the Avengers speculation discussion, let's talk a little bit of television. There's a whole lot to go going on. So let's start with something that maybe everybody can talk about. How about Timeless? Dan, for your performer of the week, you chose its leading lady based on the women's suffrage episode. Because of course we record these on Sundays. So tonight's episode, we have not yet watched it. What did you think of that episode? I absolutely loved it. I fi- we finally get, and I was complaining about this uh, recently, but we finally, finally get the core four agents going together into a mission. And obviously uh, Wyatt and uh, Flynn are like oil and gasoline. It just, it doesn't work, but you kind of know it has to work at some point. Uh, it's just, it, or oil and water. That's the that's the metaphor, not oil and gasoline. That's two different things. Anyways, so, um, but yes, I'm really excited about that. And I really, I really am interested in Rufus now that he knows uh, Gia's premonition. And you Invincible can kind of, man. Oh my gosh, he's going into so many situations so recklessly. And I kind of love it, but I'm also very worried for him. I, I really like the idea of him just jumping in and then just being like, oh, yeah, that's right. I can't actually fight and I might still get beaten up even though I don't die. Uh, I should probably watch out for myself a little better. Uh, it's so it's just so interesting to see. And then there's so much mystery going on with Mason and Agent Christopher and the image they found of Jessica because told you. Told you. Yeah. I told you all the moment she was up. I'm like, oh, she's a plant. Yeah. Now, I don't have proof to back that up other than the fact that they had an image that they had to decode that has her in it. But I'm just saying told you. I'm going to pull a Will and Grace and go, told you so, told you so, told you so. In in the spirit of the re-editing of Arrested Development, way to plant. uh, It was what it was just. It, it was a good week for Timeless, and I feel like I've talked too much. So, so. Okay. <laughs> Mo, what did you think of it? Well, I really enjoyed the um, the women's suffrage episode. The, um, I, I, was, I was actually hoping that the Rittenhouse sleeper agent would have been 
if we'd gotten a little bit more, we would have seen the, the sleeper agent a little bit more before the sleeper agent was revealed. But I like the fact that this, we learned a little bit more about Emma in, in this episode, about her backstory and kind of what motivates and what drives her. And that while she believes in Rittenhouse, you know, she's still her own woman. And if, and if she sees that they're going to do something that could have a negative impact on her, that she's going to deviate and do what she needs, she feels like she needs to do in order to survive. And I'm also curious to see what's going to happen between Emma and Lucy's uh, great-grandfather because I got a feeling she's somebody's going to end up pregnant before the end of the season. See, what I was wondering is if somehow Emma is going to end up being her grandmother. Well, that would be the great, because that, that guy's uh, Lucy's great-grandfather. It's her, it's her mother's grandfather. So, right. So, like, I was thinking that she's gonna Emma's going to end up Lucy's mother's mother. Or I guess it would be grand... Okay, I get what you're saying. Oh, so yeah. I'm off by one generation. My bad. Mel, what did you think of the episode? Okay, this episode, Timeless, was fantastic. If we're going back to Abigail Spencer's performance, I love that she had so much presence of mind to be like, look, you killed the main person who was supposed to give the speech and be basically the leader for the next 50 years of the women's movement. So we need someone to replace her. And it's she didn't really want to do it, but she was like, look, if I got to do it, I got to do it. And then there was the other woman who already had a place, you know, in the police station and she kind of ran the boys, but she was one of those women that was like, well, if I did it, everyone else can do it, and blah, blah, blah. And Lucy dressed her down. She was like, look, just because you did it doesn't mean you can't help other people to try and do it. And that doesn't mean you can't look down on other people who might not have quite the confidence yet to do it. Like, people need to hear it. People need to know how you got here. People need to know that it is possible. So I I loved that aspect of it. Um Going back to what y'all were talking about with Emma and uh, Lucy's great-grandfather, is that right? Um, <laughs> when I saw Too them, many generations like, on there. When I saw them kiss, I was like, uh-oh, this is going to cause some problems with the timeline. Because like you said, if she gets pregnant, like, how does this, how does this work now? Because is, is well, Lucy's mother technically still here? Like... Was she born yet when they grabbed him from the future? How does this work? From the and past my question would be is, do you guys think that they're going to like somehow like kidnap him and send him back? And then he's going to be stuck in the past knowing everything about the future. I, like, I, can like, I don't quite happens. get like the one, the one thing that I haven't quite understood about them bringing him to the present is if he hadn't gotten, had children prior to coming to the present unless you make him go back and keep him there Mm -hmm. how do you get the children to exist to then have the grant that lucy's mother and lucy i like because essentially like lucy and her mother should be slowly fading away like that correct correct no no they sorry They've already answered that question. They answered that question. We missed already. it. Please educate. We missed he, it. Then please tell us. He had already had uh, Lucy's grand grandmother because he started. He was in an episode. He was painting a picture of a, a, a little girl, and then um, Lucy's mother said, oh, ooh, "That's my grandmother." I totally oh, okay. missed that. Okay. Which episode oh, okay. was that in? Um, Thanks, Mo, for paying attention. 
Because we it was like the second episode of the season, I believe. It was the so second he... or the third episode. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it, well, then I believe it was the third one. Then okay. that solves everything. That solves everything. Thank you, Mo, for bringing I... clarity to our world. <laughs> well, at I, least for I temporarily. Think, yeah, I still think if Emma actually does get pregnant, that's going to cause problems later on. But. I want to know more about Jessica because clearly she's a plant. She's the the Rittenhouse sleeper agent inside our hero's operation. So, and they don't even see it coming. Also, and none of I must better oh, not God. touch Rufus. Like y'all, I I know Gia had her premonition of him dying, but I was like, don't you even think about it, timeless. Don't you even think about it, because I refuse to accept it. And at some point, we need to cover the fact that Lucy and Flynn ended up in the same room together. Hey, there was, a, and there was also a bottle of vodka there. So right, right, exactly. <laughs> yes. And Lucy has been a little bit cold to good old Wyatt, so, and opening up to Flynn. Right. Lucy is feeling some type of way right now. And I understand my girl's pain. I do. Like, she was trying to keep her distance from Wyatt because she knew that she had feelings for him. And the second that she acted on it, what happened? His freaking wife came back, and he went straight back to his wife. I'd be in my feelings, too. Okay? Now, I don't know if I'd have run Garcia Flynn. Granted, he is a good-looking man. But still, I don't don't exactly know if I would have done all of that. But I understand the way that she's feeling. Mo, this is going to be a really awkward transition, but Becca on the originals has some of her own feelings about Marcel going back to, uh, going back to, um, I was going to say St. Louis, but that is not it. New Orleans. What are you thinking of this season of the originals? Well, I, I really like the time jump. I like the, the new hope. The, eight, the teenage version of Hope, who is clearly this interesting combination of her mother and her father, as we've gotten over the first three, well, really the first two, because she didn't appear, Hope Michelson did not appear in the third episode of season five. She is, she, she's trying to be a young Klaus in, in, in training with her deviousness and her planning and, and, and machinations, and this stuff just blows up in her face and i've i've enjoyed how you know we've we've gotten this sort of family drama that it's essentially the vampire version of dallas with this uh, teen drama that we're getting now with hope michelson and this hybrid she created and the hybrid of course is causing all this chaos in new orleans between the different supernatural factions and we've got a little bit of harry potter ish thrown in with the big the villain that they defeated in the fourth season being split up horror crux style and and in, and embedded into the different michelsons and that how you know they can't get too close to each other or things are going to start happening like snakes appearing and blood dripping from walls and all this kind of craziness and but let yet yeah, klaus being klaus klaus believes he's above the rules and so, and once again, I will reiterate as I did at the performer of the week. He's an asshole. This is true, but here's the thing. He, but but I've always considered Klaus 
the J.R. Ewan of the show. He loves his family, okay? But at the same time, Klaus will stab them in the back if it means Klaus gets what Klaus wants, okay? Now, oh, uh, but there's one thing, though. Caroline put him in his place. That's right. Car- Caroline. And I love myself some Caroline and Klaus. <laughs> I was hoping that she would have had a a bigger role in the premiere episode because that was the way it was kind of advertised to me. And, and so I like the fact that they're bonding over, you know, their, their supernatural children and that the fact that, you know, all of their children are at this, you know, the, uh, the Stefan Salvatore boarding school for gifted monsters or whatever you want to call it, you know? Um, so I hope that, I honestly hope that we get an episode in which Klaus shows up at the boarding school for like some sort of PTO meeting with Caroline, because I think that that would be hilarious with uh, a Lark and Caroline and Klaus all in the same room discussing hope. But, um, so I have a question about that then just because as we're coming to, we're like going towards the series finale. If we know anything about Caroline's daughters, and how powerful of witches they were. And we have this Harry Potter element with the Horcrux, and we have the Harry Potter element with the boarding school where Hope is at. We jumped that far into the future. Those girls, based on their age in the t- on the Vampire Diaries, were probably, what, five? So they might be ten years old? Do you see Caroline's daughters, like, just in your, based on what you know of the universe, do you see Caroline's daughters playing a role in the squelching of the Horcruxes so that, or the destruction of the Horcruxes so that the Michelsons can reunite? Well, I think it depends on, they've got to introduce these them first. I mean, they've only mentioned them by name. And, and, right. in a couple episodes. So let's get them in there first because we don't, you know... It, I feel like it's going to demand what's going to ultimately happen is there's going to be some sort of sacrifice by Freya, um, Michelson and Vincent. I think, I think that could be the direction that they go in in order to resolve this issue. But I certainly would be up for a bit more of Carolyn and Carolyn's daughters, but, but we've got to thread this carefully and use what the, the elements that have already been, been provided by the show. For all we know, Marcel could be the, because, because Marcel's a super vampire now, Marcel could be the key to solving this mystery. Or Dan, you spoke eloquently about what took place on Arrowverse, but yes. it was part of your honorable mention. Yes. So, what did you think of the Oliver Queen trial? Oh, it was the most crooked trial I have ever seen, but it brought out the best performances from everyone because everyone was all in one room and it it made you realize how isolated and how cornered Team Arrow and also Team Wild Dog, Mr. Terrific, and Black Canary is. Uh, but at the same time, they... When it comes down to the nitty gritty, they're willing to help one another. And that in of itself is pretty cool. Um, I think Diaz controlling everything is like he, he's a bad man in like a good way, but also like a bad way. Like he he has these amazing, powerful scenes and commands 
every room that he's in. But at the same time, he's like kidnapping Zoe from school and just making uh, Renee like testify exactly the way he wants to. And it's like, ah, oh, okay. I guess Renee has to commit perjury or not commit perjury. We'll see. Uh, because holy cow, coming from the sky, Tommy Marlin, and then just, oh, I loved it so much. And it, it felt like Tommy talking as if he were actually the Green Arrow. And then you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, is it like Earth 2? Is it like Earth 77? Like, what's going on? Who is this person? But then you remember, at the beginning of the show, there was a flashback. Or a flash forward, depending. And John parachuted from the sky with a with a machine gun and just took out a bunch of people. Oh, it was great. And there, in order to save someone who was being held prisoner. And then you think, who would John do that for? And then all of a sudden, you he pulls off his face. Christopher Chance, the human target. I was like, oh, okay. That makes so much more sense. And even when you feel like the trial is a doomed failure, Renee is like, no, we're going to grab Christopher again and switch out the judge and make the judge uh, declare, like, a non-verdict. So, like, Oliver was found guilty, but they vacated the verdict because there was a lot of justifiable situations given, like, Tommy falling from the sky as the Green Arrow, and a whole mess of stuff. Because Diaz not only had the judge, he had the entire jury, he had the DA's office, he has the police force, he's got everyone on his payroll. At one point, John and Dinah, or, yeah, John and Dinah were beating up people outside, and the entire police force comes out and is just referring to him as Mr. Diaz. You know, Mr. Diaz doesn't want you to have a moment alone with your attorney. He, he wants me to be right here. You know, that's the things he's saying to Oliver and Felicity. It's like, oh, okay. So now, you know, it comes down to Black Siren. And Black Siren is like, Tommy Merlin is the Green Arrow. I'm Black Canary. And it's like, oh, that's right. Everyone thinks she's Earth One. Oh, so now Diaz is after anyone and everyone Oliver cares about. And so people are probably going to die. And I'm very worried because it was announced that Paul Blackthorne is not coming back next season. So Quentin Lance can't like, we, we can't kill Quentin Lance. Like, come on. Oh, him... see, I thought his days were numbered ever since like the daughters started dying. Now that the daughters are like the one daughter, that's his actual daughter is off on another show and the laurel that we have is an alternate universe, I've expected him to be bullet fodder for at least a season or two. Mo, what did you think of the Arrow episode? Well, you know, with Dan, the person who Dan forgot to mention was our beloved Risa, you know, played by Kath Kathleen Gotti from, from GH, you know, she from General Hospital. She had the nice little one-line, one-liner about... Oh, you think I'm stupid that I didn't realize that Oliver is the Green Arrow after all these years? That was I'm, a, her, I'm his nanny. Yeah, that was a classic Dr. Obrek line right there. I mean, that was that was hilarious. But uh, as, Dan, as Dan so eloquently put it, you know, Diaz is just, he is essentially the kingpin of Star City at this point. He, call, he just calls the shots and everybody either lines up or he just goes, He's just gonna um, 
knock you down. Though I do want to say, I wonder if the judge being killed by Diaz at the end of the episode is going to come back to haunt um, Renee. It, 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 wild dog is 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 that gonna be something because essentially you know they set this dude up to get murdered yeah yeah so um i i am but uh, you know and and luke like you i feel i felt like quentin lance's days have been numbered for like a couple seasons now oh yeah like i've expected him to die many times and especially as this show is as old as this show is yeah with contract negotiations i'm like he is so expendable. The fact that he has survived this long is nothing short of a miracle. Yeah, at this point, usually in the lifespan of a CW or WB show, the parental figure has gotten killed or has left. I mean, so so it it does not. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bullet in Quentin Lance's future. Okay, well, Mo, um, before we get to the Avengers, let's talk a little bit about Agents of Shield. This well, is a show that I have only at, liked at one point, which was when Ghost Rider was on, and I tuned in for that, and then I stopped it again. <laughs> but are there any connections in Avengers to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this season? Yeah, there, there are some loose connections. The most recent episode that aired does talk about Thanos and the, and the uh, Infinity War, Avengers Infinity War film. Um, and actually a big part of this season had the thrust has been leading up to um, the Avengers Infinity War series. The shield, the very, the shield agents went into the future at one point and encountered the Kree. Okay. Um, if you're familiar with the um, Avengers Cinematic University and the comics, the Kree are another alien race. They will come into play in the upcoming Captain Marvel movie that will be out in 2019, there were some also some Inhumans that the uh, Shield characters encountered because we all love in, Inhumans on this on this podcast. No, we don't. Oh, <laughs> come on! I said I was sorry. <laughs> so the so in in this most recent story arc is the um, Shield and the new newly reformed Hydra, because Hydra, of course, is back, is trying to develop some sort of super super soldier um, that, using gravitonium, okay, which is the uh, power source, the black ooze type power source that, that has been around in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. mythos since the very first season. Okay? They're trying to create some sort of super being that can withstand this alien invasion which we finally learn is Thanos. What happens is that um, they end up, General Talbot becomes a Marvel supervillain named Graviton. Okay, they have been hinting at this character since the, the essentially since the second episode, second or second or third episode of the first season of Marvel's Agents of Shield. Gra uh, General Talbot, who has been a mainstay in the show since. I believe uh, the first se early on uh, for the first season has become a Avengers villain known as Graviton. And Graviton has the ability to manipulate gravity, uh, to increase or decrease gravity. And it's the powers have dri driven General Talbot's mind crazy. And General Talbot claims he is Earth's mightiest defender and he's going to go help the Avengers. 
clearly that's not the case because he does not show up in Avengers Infinity War. So the rest of the season is going to be dealing with this side story um, involving General Talbot, who is now Graviton. And I'm certain, I'm fairly certain we're going to kind of get a hint about what happened at the end of Avengers Affinity War in which Thanos used the Infinity Gauntlet to wipe out half the population. See, and that's what I was wondering, if the show had lost half its cast as part of that and then they just vanished and then all of a sudden the show had had a mini reset mid-season. But apparently that has not yet happened. Which brings us to speculation. Now, Melody, I know that Dan and Mo have speculation already. They have theories. And just to delay their excitement, I'm going to you first. Do you have any speculation or theories for the second Avengers movie, since both of these are basically two movies, part of one big movie cut in half? Okay, I have a few questions before we get to theories. Um... Is the movie is Avengers Four already done? Didn't did they film them at the same time? Does anyone know? Yes. 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 Okay. So this one's already done because it was supposed to be one big movie, but then they split it in half, right? Yes, it's doing. Yes. I okay. believe they're in post production now. Yes, post production. Okay, so there's still time for reshoots. Second question is: since Thanos has used all the stones together and the Affinity Gauntlet has been destroyed, does this mean that he can't use the stones anymore? Like, are they dead? Or are they can Wait, they the still ga- be used? The Gauntlet's been destroyed. Yeah. The, it, if it you was, see it was, in the movie, the Gauntlet wasn't destroyed. It was. Yes, no, it was. It was. It looked damaged. I mean, now whether or not it still functions, who knows? But I'm assuming he used the space stone to get away. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that he can still use the stones, even if the gauntlet is, if the the gauntlet may either work or it may not work properly anymore. We don't know. It looked like just I've only seen once. But for for me, it looked like like it was all you know cracked and damaged, and I was like, oh, okay, does this mean you can't use it anymore? Okay, well, in that case, if the stones are still usable, we have to figure out a way. Like there has to be some way that um, the Avengers have to get a hold of the stones. Now, in the after credit scene, we did see Nick Fury um, send out a red alert to what appears to be Captain Marvel because that was the symbol. So I think that's going to come into play somehow, some way, um, for them to uh, try and defeat Thanos. And then I also think, like I was talking about in the podcast, that the time Infinity Stone is going to play a large part in these things. Because if they can get a hold of the damn time stone, I mean, you can manipulate time. So I feel like that's going to come into play somehow some way as well and i wouldn't mind seeing more characters you know get introduced to try and get our old heroes back so one question before i go to the other two on their theories of the remaining original avengers because basically everybody all the avengers that died whittled everything down to basically the original group for the most part Mm -hmm. how many of those originals will be killed off and who do you predict it will will end up dead dead in the second movie oh dead dead um i honestly if you want the truth i think it's going to come down to in the end like i think captain america is gonna make it through everything i think he's gonna be like you know the last man standing out of all of it 
Um, okay. I, I don't know if people are going to be, if they're going to end up dead, dead, because you know how movies are. It, so, especially with, it's with the superhero powers and we have ways to manipulate time and do all these things. <clears throat> but I do, if I'm going to predict anyone that's going to be last one, it's going to be Cap. See, I think that he's going to be the one that's guaranteed dead just because of Chris's contract things. Um, I so, forgot like, he's having all these issues that could change. Well, no, like, like hasn't he explicitly stated that he's ready to pursue other stuff and mm-hmm. his contract with all these are up? So of all of them, Captain America is the one that I think will be dead dead. Tony Stark, the physical manifestation might be dead, but... I've read a lot of theories about him becoming the voice of the new Jarvis, so we might still have um, Robert Downey Jr.'s voice. Downey Jr. was another one that said he was kind of done with it too, right? Yes. True, but that's why I'm saying, that's why I'm saying, like, I think the physical body could be, but, like, if he ended up coming in as the new Jarvis voice, he could, like, walk into a studio, record everything in one day, walk out and make money. That's sort of my theory. So... Mo, because I'm going to delay all of Dan's anticipation because he was already champing at the bit last week. What are your speculations and theories for the next Avengers movie? Well, um, I'm looking for, first of all, I'm looking forward to uh, the Cat Marvel film that will be coming out in February because that will be a key key bit of information will be coming there. We know it's a flashback and at the at some point, Carol, Carol Danvers, who is, who is Cat Marvel, will end up um, coming back to Earth. So I'm also curious about what's going to happen with in the new Ant- Ant-Man and the Wasp film that's going to be coming soon as well, because one of the things that they, in- the concepts that they introduced in there is the microverse. And could that play a, a role in how they defeat Thanos? Maybe, for instance, the... Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp shrink down and to, to like a, a very small size and disrupt the molecular integrity of one of the gems. Um, I'm really curious to see what Hawkeye, what Clint Barton will bring to the table. There's rumors circulating that he will be a new, he will be, he will take on a persona known as Ronan in, um, in the new film. I personally do not believe that they will be introducing any of the Fox characters because the Fox the, and by Fox characters, I mean any Fantastic Four X-Men characters because the deal with Fox and Disney has not been finalized and that the film has already been, um, been shot. And I, I want to, I remember that, you know, first and foremost, this is the Avengers. Okay. And so we're at the end of that of Avengers three, we're left with more or less the original group of Avengers minus Hawkeye. So I'm plus Hawkeye who, who, who wasn't on screen. So whatever the solution is, it's clear that it's going to involve that, that combination plus a few other individuals. Now, one surprise that I could, a surprise character they could bring in that they've sowed the seeds for, who is another Marvel cosmic character that is, has often battled Thanos is Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock was was introduced, well, rather a cocoon in Guardians in of the Guard- Galaxy. Correct. So that that if they want to bring in a new character to go up against Thanos, you know, 
that would be the route to go if if they want to bring in somebody brand new other than Ant-Man, the Wasp, and Captain Marvel. Who do you think will um, bite it in the next movie? I'm going to go... I think I agree with you about um, um, Iron Man, his physical body dying. I, I would, it wouldn't surprise me if Tony Stark's physical body dies. He uploads his mind, like you, like you mentioned before, Luke, because it's been done in the comics, and they potentially introduce a new character to wear the Iron Man suits. They've got one one possible candidate could be Riri Williams. She's a Afri- she's a young African American female who is who's a recent addition to the Iron Man mythos. Um, I- so, but my question for that is, since sometimes the movie franchise sort of like plays with that, yeah, would you be okay if Shuri did that instead? Yeah, I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a problem with it. it I mean, uh, with that at all, I, I'd be totally fine with that. Um, okay. I I also for. I, there's a part of me that I've, I've heard these theories about possibly uh, Captain America going back in time and and living out his life with uh, with Peggy. I would not be opposed to that. I do think that Steve is just going to walk off into the sunset. Like, I, so you don't think he's going to be dead? I don't think I don't think Captain America's going to die. I don't think Steve's going to die. I think Steve is some, Steve is going to get some sort of reward. No. It, it, it could be. I, I I hope I hope it, I hope Steve I hope Steve gets a happy happy ever after and like Bucky or the Falcon takes up the shield like they've done in the comics. And so then, if you don't think that the Fantastic Four X Men are going to be in it, do you think that they could end up in a post credit scene? Because that would not take much. I think it really depends on when this what happens when this deal closes. I I think. Legally, I mean, like you would, I mean, you would have to, if we would have to start hearing something about getting permission or, or something like that for them to make an appearance. Like what, what happened when Spider-Man, when the rumbling started happening about Spider, Sony allowing Spider-Man to appear in, in uh, Captain America Civil War. We, if we start hearing rumblings of that, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some sort of mention of the Fantastic Four or the Avengers, because again, they've already started talking about alternate realities and so forth courtesy of the microverse and Doctor Strange and and, and that first, uh, a little bit in that um, Ant-Man film. Okay. Dan, that brings us to you, who is so excited that for the past week you've been wanting to discuss this, which is why I let you go last. Wow. Sorry. What what are your speculations and predictions? Well, obviously the Captain Marvel uh, appearance is pretty pretty evident given the fact that her movie's coming out in 2019 and uh she was like her symbol was on the beeper and we have photos from set with samuel jackson with hair and uh just everything's very 90s so the whole movie being a flashback i want to know where ant-man and the wasp fall into the whole thing but there was an interesting bit of information that recently accidentally slipped out and then they tried to clean it up, but um, Inverse uh, found it. So Abby Ryder Fortson, who plays Cassie Lang in Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, put on her IMDb and then quickly took it down that she's going to be in Avengers 4. Now, if you know Cassie Lang in the comics, uh, she eventually grows up to be the Stinger. Uh, I think she has like a an iteration, like an identity before the Stinger, but eventually she becomes her own superhero as well. And she, you know, Scott Lang's daughter, Scott Lang, Hope Van Dyne, whole whole, whole shtick. Um, 
So it, it's going to be interesting to see how Ant-Man and the Wasp get incorporated into the greater Avengers conversation. Uh, as far as Cap goes, I he took a pretty hard punch to the head. And I'm, I'm going to predict something that is super soapy. I think he's going to eventually like die of some sort of aneurysm after the events of Avengers. Like they could be fighting. They could be doing like the whole movie could go by. And then all of a sudden, what, wait, Steve, Steve, are you okay? Are you? And he's just, he's gone. That, that is going to be. So you're, so you think that Avengers four could end with like the flag draped over the casket military funeral. Exactly. And, have all of them sort of figure out, okay, what we can. So they might be able to pull off that very iconic DC universe where you have all like Wonder Woman and all of the Justice League standing around the casket. You're expecting that, but in Avengers. And I'm expecting Mr. FBI CIA guy to be super humbled by the whole thing and just rip up the Sokovia Accords. Like the, as Go ahead. as like a symbol of cap sacrifice and just commitment to the safety of others being a priority over the bureaucracy of just okay, so we need to contact this person and this person and this person and then maybe we can go save the day. You know, that's okay. that you know that's something cap really fought for. And that would be kind of a cool thing and for Bucky and Sam to sort of figure out, okay, what's next? So one last question to all of you um, before we wrap. Of all of the characters that died in the final scenes of Infinity War, are there any that you think will stay dead dead? So this is not talking about Gamora who died previously, uh, Heimdall. Are, are there any of the people who evaporated that you think will stay dead, dead? Or do you think in the end they'll all come back? Dan, any of them are going to come back, uh, stay dead, dead? You know, I I just, I don't think so. I think the the most permanent deaths were really Loki, Heimdall, and Gamora. Uh, okay. That just, it felt super permanent. Mo, what about you? Any of the evaporations going to be dead, dead? No, I, I'm, I'm cynical. You know, uh, none of the ones who, who evaporate are going to be dead, dead. I mean, they all have movies. <laughs> okay, Mel, are you going to break with us and agree that or say that at least one is going to be dead, dead? I think some of the Guardians, um, excluding Gamora, because we know she's dead, dead. But I think some of the Guardians are not going to come back. I think they're going to be dead, dead. Um, um, I'm trying to think of anyone else that's coming to mind that evaporated, but I... Those are the ones that are sticking out to me that I don't, I think that some of them are not going to come back. Mel, I want to give you the final word on the podcast. We don't talk about horror a lot, but as we were discussing things to discuss on the podcast, you brought up the fact that 
Um, Pet Cemetery is getting a remake, and you seem pretty excited about it. So in the last couple minutes, tell us about that. Okay. Pets, I like horror movies. I am a horror movie fan, okay? And there are very few horror movies out there that scare the hell out of me, and Pet Cemetery has to be one of them. I think I've seen that movie a total of two times and I'm like, I can't do this. This is scary as hell. So the fact that they're remaking it is interesting to me because the original has so much to it that genuinely terrifies me. I kind of want to check out the remake. Now, I did notice the reason that this came to uh, my attention is because they cast um, John Lithgow as... Uh, Judd, he was the next door neighbor, the old country next door neighbor who was played by uh, Fred Gwynn in the original movie. So I I was like, oh, I didn't realize they were remaking this. Uh, if y'all don't know, Pet Cemetery is an old um, Stephen King novel. So um, the movie is genuinely terrifying. So I kind of wanted to see where it's going. They don't have um, all the cast yet so it's still kind of in the beginning stages i did check it out on imdb it's supposed to be released in 2019 sometime so um it's definitely on my radar now and if we're sticking with horror um there's also the reboot of halloween coming up which is my favorite slasher by far um and it's got Jamie Lee Curtis in it. She had a lot of influence in this one. They say it's supposed to be um, a throwback to John Carpenter's original. He actually had his stamp of approval on this one. So I'm really interested in seeing um, this movie when it does come out and how it encompasses the original and how maybe close it is or how much of a throwback and how many influences it actually does have on the original because I love slashers so it's going to be interesting on that note, we would encourage you to comment at this ep- on this episode at geekconfidential.com. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. You can find me at Twitter, on Twitter, at Luke underscore Kerr. Mel is at Melody Akles. Dan is the real Dan Pierce. And Mo is Dr. Mo 77 We thank you for listening. Until next time, and next week, you're going to get a top five. So long. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye, everybody.